welcome to Sustainable Compliance Live. This live event is inspired by the Danish equivalent where compliance professionals get together weekly to learn, share and grow. So just a bit of housekeeping before we get started. Sustainable Compliance Live will be held on Tuesdays at 2 p.m. Copenhagen time. We'll be sending out an email once per week with follow-ups from the um, learnings from this today and also the theme for next time. Please have your camera on. It's always great to see uh, who we're talking to and uh, have this community uh, around it. We will be recording the first half of uh, the show, uh, but only sound. So uh, don't be worried about having your camera on. It's a really good idea to be here as you are today. Um, so you can see the slides that we're, we're uh, sharing and, and it gives a little bit more context uh, to the whole story. So, um, so great that you're all here today. If you have any questions, and I'm sure uh, many of you uh, will, please write them in the chat and we'll, um, we'll take them up when, when we have uh, time for questions. There is time for questions and the way it'll work is that you write what the question is about in the chat and we'll say, okay, it's, uh, it's your turn. Now, please uh, ask your question so we, we can also have that. In that way, we have a little bit of order and also a fair way uh, to, um, to have the questions. So today, it's our first show and it's called Sustainable Compliance and we want to get into that. But sustainable compliance is also a term describing the way of thinking. And could you tell us about what sustainable compliance is? Uh, thank you very, thank you very much uh, for that question, uh, Benjamin. Did you tell them that your name was Benjamin? Do you, I don't think you did, but um, but you are. <laughs> and and my name is uh, my name is Jakob Larsen. I am um, I'm a privacy evangelist here at at Wide Relation. We're we're um, we're hosting. Um, this, but it, it's it's not about um, it's not about a product. It's not about anything like that. It's it's basically about sustainable compliance, and that's the name of the show. And I'll and and um, and our podcast, and I'll I'll just tell you about that concept and what it is. But I'll start by um, taking you back to. Um, 1993, when I got my first job, um, and my first job was in a candy factory. How amazing is that? My boss's name wasn't Charlie, but it was almost like uh, the chocolate factory. Um, though we did we did make um, a chewing gum, but uh, but it was still fun. Um, a few months after I started, we began uh, the implementation of a new ERP system. And everyone was involved. I was kind of the youngest trainee. I was involved. Everybody was involved. And we didn't finish the project until just before I left the company uh, two years later. Um, we probably had like three systems. We had email, we had a production system, and we had an ERP system. Um, we did consider ourselves data-driven. We knew so much about our customers, but the thing is most of that information was basically somebody with a clipboard. Our young listeners will not know what a clipboard is, but, uh, but 
they they just approached they approached people in malls asking them about their chewing gum gumming habits, um, and and that was that was the information we had on on customers, um, and this is only thirty years ago. Though it, to to somebody it would probably sound as if we're back in the Stone Age, but we aren't. The world has just changed immensely since that. Today, business means data. And the thing is, we have added more and more systems. Those three systems that we had at, at, um, at the chewing gum factory is now often hundreds of systems. When we onboard a customer here, we can, we, we, we can see how many systems they, they have. They have like hundreds. Some have more than a thousand different IT systems and applications. And they are added at the speed of light. I mean, we spent a year doing the ERP system, but, but today somebody gets an idea in the morning and then they have a, a test version of the system in the afternoon and they're filling in data. It's just, it's at the speed of light, we're just putting in new systems. We've also added more data sources, those clip Boards that that I that I that we did at, at at the chewing gum factory. That's now everything is just picking up data. We're picking up data when when people log on to their apps, when they when they um, when they buy something. We're just picking up a lot of data sources, um, and and everything today collects data. We also realized at some point during those 30 years that the data that we have is valuable. So we've added a lot of uh, security uh, measures, a lot of security layers on what we do. And then uh, when, I was, when I was at the chewing gum factory, there was, a, there was a server in the basement. It was called AS400. <laughs> Today we've just shipped everything into, uh, into the cloud. So it's just gotten extremely complex, and it's gotten extremely complex very, very fast. I mean, in 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 the in in the lifespan of humankind, these like thirty years or maybe even twenty years, it's just it's just hugely fast. Um, and on top of that, the lawmakers also started in in the last like ten years. They've started being aware of this. So we've had more and more uh, regulation on the collection, storage, and use of data. Um, we all know the GDPR, but we've also, um, more than 150 countries today have data protection laws. And we're starting also to see that, that we are uh, having regulations on security and a lot of other things concerning um, data. And the thing is that we've responded with regulatory compliance. If you look at, at, this, at, this, um, at this slide, we've, we've sort of placed regulatory compliance in a, in a fun way because she the uh, regulatory compliance professional. She has her back to the business and she's looking at the lawmakers. She looks, she's looking at the peop 
she's looking at what is she's trying to predict what is what is the data protection authority going to say about this what is what is, what are the courts going to say about this she's she's trying to figure out whether or not what we do is legal she's asking the question or we are asking the question is this legal and in in my respect in in my way of seeing this this is not enough anymore it did take us a long way that we that we looked into the law and trying to figure out what what the meaning was however um, a lot of other things are happening companies are starting to demand that their suppliers document compliance and information security people like normal people like you and I Benjamin and all the others all your other people um, are questioning whether and how we protect their information and moreover internally there's a huge pressure to create more and more value with digital services so the demands of our stakeholders uh, have changed but regulatory compliance has not changed and at wide relations we've been working with like hundreds of, of companies um, and uh, public organizations and what we see is that the best of them they they ask a different question so they ask is this sustainable what is that um, sustainable compliance to me is balancing value creation regulatory compliance and public expectation so sustainable compliance doesn't reject the fact that regulatory demands are important and that we should um, comply with the law but it places uh, compliance in a more sort of strategic place in which we are also concerned with um, qualifying business plans and strategic goals and trying to uncover the demands of other stakeholders as well so that's basically what what sustainable compliance is and a lot of people ask me so how is sustainable compliance different from um, regulatory compliance give me examples and I'll give you two because I think over the coming uh, weeks and months we'll be diving into this in, in in this very show this very podcast this is what we will be doing for the next couple of years um, Benjamin and me holding uh, these meetings on that but I'll give you two examples uh, one of them has to do with value creation so every time business is looking into new systems and new ways of doing things they'll make a business plan today what happens with regulatory compliance is that everybody's looking in they're, they're creating the business plan they're they're testing out stuff and when they're almost done they'll run it by regulatory compliance just to make sure that the i's are dotted that 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 everything is is legal i think it's the job of compliance to challenge business plans 
to work with the business on business plans, inserting data protection as as a value, because data protection is both an asset and a liability. And very often, if data protection is not inserted, if, if we're not there, if compliance is not a part of it, the, the, the problem is that that those assets and those liabilities are not taking into account. So I think that's one of the places where I think sustainable compliance is different from regulatory compliance. The fact that we should we should challenge business plans, qualify business plans, and work with the business to make great business plans that take the assets and liabilities of data protection and information security into um, into practice. So that's one of them. The other, the other one is when it comes to public expectations. I I think we should talk to um, the people whose data we process more. I, I think the another um, part of compliance, another job of compliance, should be must to uncover the demands of those whose information we process. We should uncover their demands on our compliance structure. So you've probably, you've probably seen a politician in a crisis and sometimes, or, or a shitstorm, something, and sometimes that politician will say, well... Everything I did was according to the law. But has that ever, in a million years, saved a politician's arse? Nope, it hasn't. Because today, just following the law is not enough. To be trusted, we need to uncover public expectation as well. We need to uncover what is hidden underneath, what our what our customers think about the things we do. Because we want to steer our ethical compasses in the right direction to build, uh, to build trust. Just for the record. I'm not saying that we shouldn't comply with the law, that, we shouldn't, that it shouldn't be legal what we do. I just don't think that is enough anymore. Benjamin. So, <laughs> I mean, well, we have talked about this um, quite extensively over the time that we've known each other. And uh, coming from a marketing background, um, I, I, I can really uh, see the, um, um, the, the problems with all the systems that, that are added constantly. But also, I think where, where I... I worked before, there was maybe also a fear to interact with um, uh, privacy professionals, maybe because you would get a no. <laughs> yeah. Maybe. <laughs> and, 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 and so it really resonates uh, with me, the, the fact that, that, well, there's a better approach. What I'm, what I'm left wondering with is by going sustainable instead of, um, regulatory, if we can put it in, in, in those terms, it sounds like a lot more work, right? And so what, what, I'm, what I'm wondering, what, why is it worth it? <laughs> can I say two things? 
first on the um, we don't want to ask. Um, you had you had you had two questions. The one the first one was we we don't want to ask um, compliance because we can get a no. I think a lot of compliance people have that just from the the other angle. So so a lot of compliance people will have a have ex- will have experienced to some degree that they are they are asked too late in the process. So they are basically asked to um, make sure that a decision that has already been made is uh, going to be um, is, is legal. So that's basically what they've been asked um, to do. And I think there are two there are two possible reasons why that happens. One is the first one is that that your colleagues didn't think they should involve you until later, and that's when you're that's when you're uh, positioned as the legal department, um, and 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 you and, and people are basically running things by you because that's what that's what you do as a as a legal department. The other possibility is worse, I guess, because that is that people that your colleagues choose not to involve you. And that's when you are, that's when your position, that's when you're branded within your organization as somebody who always looks for problems instead of solutions. So basically, I I think um, those are are the two reasons why you get involved um, late um, and, and, um, and that you can do something about. The other one is, can't, your other question was, is sustainable compliance worth it? I, I'm, not, I'm not sure whether it is more work, actually. So I'd like to uh, challenge sort of the basic reasoning here. When you do regulatory compliance, you will be doing a lot of casework. So you'll have cases presented to you, and you'll have to dive into um, you'll have to dive into things and, and answer questions. So you'll be asked asked questions like, "Can we put up um, pictures of the kids in school? Can we take pictures of them?" And you'll be asked yes or no. Uh, you'll be asked, uh, "Can we?" Uh, can we can we give a, a, a list of participants when we have uh, conferences? And you'll be asked to say yes or no. That's actually quite a lot of work, and it's act and and all answering all those questions. I think sustainable compliance is about looking at data decisions from above and and really making making good, solid, culturally. Uh, sound decisions. So, so instead of looking at at cases, individual cases, you'll be looking at when when we do this, when we work with customers, how how do we how do we do it in a way so that they so that they will be uh, happy about how we process things, and 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 so so you'll be basically taking a part of your job and and sort of outsourcing it into the organization so that that all the decisions are are sort of made in the business instead of you having cases presented to you so so i th- i think it's definitely it's definitely worth it it takes other competences so you you need to know 
other things like you need to be able to communicate well, you need to be able to do change management, you need to be able to train people. So instead of having a lot of legal expertise, you need some other kinds of expertise. Um, and and that's probably what is what is keeping a lot of people from it because, you know, training people and letting go of sort of control, your own control can be can be kind of difficult when you're when when you're especially I'm, I'm a I'm a I'm a lawyer myself I was I was I was trained as a as a as a lawyer and 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 we're 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 kind of prone to uh wanting to be in control and and wanting to make the, the decisions and just letting other people make decisions based on training and culture that's um, kind of nerve-wracking to us, I guess, <laughs> in many <laughs> ways, Benjamin. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, thank, thank you for uh, um, entertaining my question uh, there. <laughs> um, so, um, yeah, I, I know we've, well, you've also mentioned a few times that you also see a shift um, yeah. that you uh, you may uh, like a, some well trends um, yeah. that that I, I'd love that that we could we could discuss them here. Dive into those, yeah, 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 <clears throat> and 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 just to to bring it a little bit further, um, I to to do this to go from regulatory compliance to sustainable compliance, we need to. Um, we need to embrace, I think, five trends. Um, and I see them to some degree, but they are also uh, normative in the sense that if we, if we want to go from regulatory compliance to sustainable compliance, we need to embrace them. Uh, and we'll go deeper into them, as I said, over the coming weeks and months. I think we'll take one every time we have these um, live events and go deeper into it. But I'll, I'll just just briefly go over um, these five trends. So trend number one is that we need to go from a centralized authority to company-wide collaboration. So if you're a centralized authority, you're very much a yes-no department. So, so um, the thing is that that if you if you're placed as, as this centralized authority that the cases are presented to you and your job is to say yes and and no um that's um that's very sort of legal and, and regulatory compliance the thing is that if you want to do real data protection if you want to ingrain a culture they'll they'll you'll realize that you need to um collaborate and one of the reasons why you need to collaborate is that, they'll, that there is a knowledge gap. You know a lot about data protection, privacy by design, information security, and in the business they will know a lot about the business and what is actually happening on the ground. Um, I've seen quite a lot of compliance paperwork where you have policies that very nicely says that this is what we do, then when you ask people, they kind of do something else. So, so you need company-wide collaboration. That's the first trend, going from centralized authority to company-wide uh, collaboration. The second one is going from 
tick the box compliance to balanced decision making. So what I did when I implemented uh, GDPR back in 2018 was I read through the law and every time there was something that I needed to do, I kind of put it into this humongous uh, Excel spreadsheet and then we tried to fill it in. So we tried to be compliant, to tick the boxes. I think that if we want to make, to do real data protection, if we want to also gain some of the some of the the positives that we can get from from data protection, if we want to um, to make sure that the liabilities of data protection are are covered, we need another goal. The goal isn't to be compliant. The goal is making good implementable decisions on how we collect, store, and um, process data. And that's balanced decision-making. If we, if, if we make a decision, if we ask people to drive 50 kilometers an hour on the motorway at night, they won't do it. So if we, if, if, if we, don't, if we don't, don't balance the, the, the needs of the business with, with the regulatory demands and, and the public expectation, somebody will give. Uh, so we need to make good um, balanced decisions because they can actually be implemented. They can become culture and they can become good decisions when the salesman has to do something in the CRM system. That's when a decision is actually uh, made. So that's trend number two, going from tick-the-box compliance to balanced decision-making. Trend number three is going from problem-oriented to solutions-oriented. And there's a lot in this. That I, have, I have met quite a lot of GDPR and data protection professionals who are unhappy because they are viewed as um, naysayers and, and sort of problem people within their organization. And it's not because they want to be. It's basically because, as we discussed earlier, that they they are often put into the they're put into the process too late when there's nothing to do. So they have to say, "Hey, we can't do this," and a lot of resources has been put into it. So we should do what um, what someone calls shift privacy left. <laughs> Um, that's a that's a term that somebody is is using, and I think that's very much what what is what is going on in this trend, going from problem oriented to solution oriented. Because if we are involved early in the process, if we are involved when people have an idea of doing something or have an idea of implementing a new system, if we're involved there, we can actually be solutions oriented. We can we can help them get to where they want to go without jeopardizing uh, data protection and information security. So basically, this is about um, getting into the process early so we can be solutions-oriented. The fourth trend is um, going from legal thinking to strategic involvement. So when, when we have regulatory 
compliance. Um, the goal is basically to be compliant. Is it's answering questions? Is it legal? So, so the need is is for deep legal knowledge. It's basically a, a legal department, or it can be deep technical knowledge. But it's it's basically deep legal or technical knowledge that is is, is here, right? Um, if if we want to sort of put data protection into this the strategy we need to do something else we, we need to to look broader and and um and and then then we have to sort of nourish uh, other kinds of uh, competences within the uh, compliance department like co communicating better change management leadership training those um, kinds of things so that instead of being the lawyer that needs to um, get into the mix at a at a late stage we we're actually we're actually um, there when big decisions are made and and the thing is that managing storing and collecting data that is strategy it should be strategy right you can't say that Okay, it's the data is not it's not really strategic. It's just something that we have. It's not something that we it has no value in this organization. That's not the case anywhere, probably. So you should you should be part of of strategy when you are data protection and compliance, right? The fifth is going from managing data subjects to caring about people. This is one of my pet PVs, so <laughs> please stay with me. I think that uh, one of the things that I realized when when I when I was implementing GDPR was that I was kind of looking at data subjects. I was looking at data points. They weren't people to me. They were just they were data points. And, and when you put a lot of data points into the mix, it says something about a data subject. And nobody wants to be a data subject, right? We, 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 want, to be, we want to be people. And, and I, I think that a lot of us in compliance, we've, we've sort of had the, we've, we've looked at people as data points and not people. So I think, and that's that's why I say that I think one of our basic tasks is to go out and talk to people, having uh, like focus group interviews and 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 yeah, talking talking to, to to people to try to uncover their demands on our compliance structure. Maybe they want us to do something in a in a certain way, or maybe they don't care about the the things that we care about. Um, a lot, and I think both from both that there are two reasons why we should talk to people. One is that that I think we'll uncover a lot of things that we can that we can use and utilize in our compliance. But the other thing is that we just become aware that what we have is important to somebody else. That what we have is actually it's 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 life, human beings, people. That's that's so so important. So I think that to go from regulatory to, uh, compliance to sustainable compliance, we need to embrace this. And basically, it's about getting out there and become 
much more part of the business and the organization that we are in instead of being this sort of centralized, um, siloed um, organization that I unfortunately sometimes and or really often see that compliance has um, has turned into. So I think that's sort of the next step in in the um, in, in compliance, really. Thanks, Jacob. Um, I have uh, two questions for you here. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned um, uh, shifting left. Um, so um, what is the what is that exactly a picture of? Shifting left is it politically? I don't think so. <laughs> no, <laughs> it's not. What, what, what is it? <laughs> no, it's not. It's not a political. Uh, it's not a political thing. No, shifting left is basically um, on a on a timeline. It's um, it's a term that I'm um, that I'm envious that I didn't uh, come up with. But it's it's basically if 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 this is a if this is a project, um. And, and it's a project timeline that starts all the way to the left and end all the way to the right. If, if you're doing regulatory compliance, often you're asked all the way to the right. So when, every, when everything is, is, is done, when all the decisions are made, you're asked to do the uh, legal wizardry to make sure it's all compliant. Shifting left, basically in my book, means um, being involved early on the timeline. So whenever somebody is, is having a great idea to, to do something, um, something amazing in, um, in marketing or somewhere else, then basically you should, it should be natural to be involved. And I think it's actually pretty easy to see whether you're positioned right in the organization. If you, if you get those emails that goes, hey, Compliance, Jennifer, I just had an idea. Could we just pop our heads together for 10 minutes? I want to I wanna sort of um, spar with you on it. Um, if you get those emails, you're positioned right because then you're, then you're in early. Um, if you don't get them and you get a lot of, this is the business plan, go through it, then I think you're positioned wrong. In, in, in many ways. So that's basically what shifting left is. There'll be a, okay. a whole podcast on shifting left that I'm recording tonight. Oh. Yeah, just for the, for, the, for the people out there who are, who are looking for it. <laughs> yes, there will. Yeah, thanks for clarifying that because uh, in some context it m- may sound a little political, uh, <laughs> shifting left. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I guess maybe that's also a valuable picture. But uh, let's save that for the next time. <laughs> you you did also mention Jakob, um, uh, like going from managing data subjects to caring about uh, people, mm-hmm. and and here. Um, you talked about the the um, uh, becoming aware as an organization um, of the importance of uh, people's uh, well feelings um, um, towards uh, privacy and stuff like that. But what what do you, what what does it do to to those you ask when you when you ask them? That's a good question. I mean, um, yeah. 
<laughs> because that's that's actually often something that I'm that I'm uh, when 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 people don't want to do this. That's one of the that's one of the things that I get that that if we ask people, we have to change things. So if if I ask you what what would you like me to do, um, I should I should also change my behavior. If you ask me to change, I don't think that is necessarily something that you need to to do. Um, in my point of view, and I, I think a lot of people have tried this on sort of their own, in their own mind, that if you are involved in something, if you're, if, if you're asked about your business's uh, strategy or the, 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 what, what, what you should have for lunch during the next couple of weeks. If, if you're asked questions, if you're involved, you're actually more inclined to be happy about what is, you're being motivated, being uh, in on what is actually happening. So if we, I think if we involve people, if we, if we ask them, just the simple act of being interested enough to ask, being interested enough to, to do that, I think that'll take it take us a long way to uh, towards uh, trust. Um, that that as just just the, the mere fact that we ask them, I think, is is uh, very 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 um, important. Also to the people who are um, who are asked. Not that we should ask everybody. I, I it's not. I'm not saying that if you're Facebook and you have a trillion. Um, people who are on your platform that you should ask them all but 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 uh, but asking uh, some of them will will take you take it a long way take you a long way towards knowing what's actually what's actually going on yeah and 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 trust is a um, is, is such an important thing in, in business nowadays um, that that we have trust uh, in each other so yeah I'm but, I agree. But all, but all, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and also uh, we as privacy professionals, our um, ethical compasses are probably not pointing to true north <laughs> in in the, in the sense that, or maybe it's pointing true north and nobody else's is. But but we think more about this. We probably care more about this. So just getting to talk to real people and asking them what is important to you, I think will help not not only, but it'll, it'll also help ourselves sort of calibrate what is what is important. Are we, are we spending our time in the right way? Is what what is what is really important to uh, to people? So 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 that's that's also there's a lot of like you can have a lot of good from 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 actually talking to real people yeah yeah and not to uh, tease uh, another uh, uh, potential episode here but um but also the the language our customers use to talk about privacy um and 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 
security and 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 these things might also inspire us uh, to how we should be communicating about how we do things on websites and in in policies and and such uh, which which can often be technical um but um i think we'll we'll get into that chapter one one other day like when they talk Act- about when, like when you guys i'm i'm uh I'm often in, I often find myself in marketing meetings, right? And when you guys talk about uh, PLG and uh, uh, marketing movements and stuff like that, I am just, uh, I'm just, I have no idea often what you're talking about. So, and that's, that's when I, that's when I realize that when I talk about privacy, to privacy professionals, and 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 when I I, sh- I probably should change my vocabulary when I talk to everybody else because they might not know that they are data subjects, and they might not know that that um, that what I'm doing is a is a ROPA or a DPIA or whatever whatever it is. I think you're right. Language is super important, and and it's it's especially important for for really understanding what is what is going on and, and and that's that's one of the things that we want people um to at least know what we're doing i guess yeah with their personal information this actually concludes the first live show so uh, thank you for participating and if you have any questions uh, that we can follow up on please write them in the chat and we'll um, we'll take a look at them but yeah, thank you for being guinea pigs for the first live event. And then if you have any suggestions on something that we could improve, please don't hesitate to send the feedback and reach out if you have any questions in general on LinkedIn to Jakob. See you next week. See you all.